You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Dr. Robin Ganser, and thanks to listening to this very important episode of Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. Friends, today we're discussing Battle Buddies and our advocacy campaign on Capitol Hill. Over the past few days, we have enjoyed productive meetings with members of Congress and their staff talking about the fixes for contract working dogs and military working dogs. These issues, friends, are quite complicated as anything is in the government and defense bureaucracy. But we're working collaboratively with Congress and are so appreciative of the members' insights and willingness to roll up their sleeves and help. Particular champion has been Congressman Gus Bilirakis. Congressman Bilirakis from Florida has been a tremendous leader in welcoming American Humane to the Hill and championing our issues. Also, Congressman Frank Lobiondo of New Jersey has been a tremendous champion for all war dogs, either military and contract working dogs. And so a special shout out to Congressman Lobiondo. Military and contract working dogs save lives on the battlefields and on the home front. We all agree that we must honor their service and ensure that they return home and make every effort to reunite them with their military handlers. It's estimated that each military working dog, contract working dog, saves the lives of 150 to 200 service members. That means more sons and daughters are returning home from service in dangerous combat zones because a highly trained dog found weapon caches, enemy positions, and serious threats. The enemy knows the value of these dogs. The Taliban is known to shoot the dog first and the handler next, as that takes out the front line of defense. You know, airfields can't be cleared when there's no canine team on the ground. Corporal Jeff DeYoung, who we'll speak to in just a few minutes, remembers being identified by villagers in Afghanistan as the dog man. He knew he was a target. Most military working dogs do find their way back to American soil, especially those that are the military police dogs, because of the stellar efforts of the United States Air Force. Military working dogs serve many functions in defense and are so valued by our military. The military police program uses military working dogs, and servicemen are paired with a canine from a young age all the way through their military contract. However, contract working dogs provided through defense contractors are not owned by the military and are issued to infantrymen, engineers for the duration of their deployment with several weeks of training. When the deployment is over, the dog is returned to the contractor for a period of retraining. The contract working dog is then returned with a new handler to combat theater. It's these dogs that served with deployments with our 101st Airborne and the Marines for IED programs and explosive detection initiatives. These dogs see real combat on the front lines in Iraq and Afghanistan and forge some special bonds with their handlers. While the National Defense Authorization Act for 2013 authorizes the transfer of a retiring military working dog if no suitable adopter is available at the military facility, the language refers to, quote, may transfer, end quote, rather than shall transfer. And no provisions are made whatsoever for contract working dogs who have seen real combat. The fact is that if a military working dog or a contract working dog is retired in a non-combat zone overseas, that dog becomes a civilian and cannot travel in military transport. The fact is that suitable adoption is also not defined. And 
The facts are that the act only refers to military working dogs with no reference to these contract working dogs who serve in combat zones alongside the Marines and the Army infantry. And friends... With growing threats abroad, I am concerned about allowing adoptions overseas unless there is a former handler involved. These dogs, whether they are military or contract working dogs, are highly trained and specialized for combat duty. With the growing radicalized elements and threats facing our forces in our country, scenarios could be played out that terrorists posing as local families overseas could adopt these dogs upon their retirement and turn around and even use them against our own forces. That's why we need better regulations around overseas adoptions, and we need better regulations of canine contractors to ensure these highly trained canine forces are never available through fire sales on Craigslist when kennels lose their defense contracts or dogs become eligible for retirement. So here's our proposal in a nutshell, which served as our basis for these important discussions on Capitol Hill. Military working dogs, those owned by the military, should be brought home to U.S. soil before being retired. We believe this is the case for all military dogs, contract working dogs and military working dogs. And again, their former handlers who have the strongest bond with these animals should be given the first chance to adopt. There is a reference to military working dogs in the existing NDAA language, and we're recommending a modification. Contract working dogs owned by defense contractors should be brought home for their retirements. We recognize that many contract companies that supply trained animals to the armed forces are working to bring these dogs home. However, there are no government regulations regarding the welfare and retirement outcomes for these war dogs. Private companies have custody of these animals and are in control of their future. Yet, the soldiers and the Marines who've served in combat theater with their contract working dogs have no input. Given the special circumstances of these dogs, there should be requirements in government contracts for such private companies to ensure their well-being and retirements, providing the homes, the forever-loving homes of the soldiers and Marines who have served alongside them. So we need to change that language in the NDAA. And friends, as we announced in November in that wonderful episode of Be Humane, live from the Veterans Day Parade, veterinary care regulations state that a system may be established for the medical care of these retired dogs, but regulations prohibit federal funding. So American Humane Association stepped out, called on the private sector to embrace the health and well-being of these retired war dogs, and they helped us. I have to tell you, I'm so grateful to Red Bank Veterinary Hospital System because they certainly secured specialty veterinary care through their generous gift. And you will hear today about contract working dog, military dog, Cena, who's benefited from the generosity of Red Bank. So the legislative impact is simple. And it is clear. And to learn more, friends, about how you can help, please visit my blog on AmericanHumane.org and call your member of Congress today. We'll be right back after this brief message for interviews with Corporal Jeff DeYoung and Army Specialist Brent Gromit about their battle buddies and what it was to testify on Capitol Hill over the past few days. We'll be right back. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. Tired of wasting money on giant boxes of litter that don't work and don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. So even a small bag lasts one cat 30 days. 
outstanding odor control, quick lumping, lightweight. It's even flushable. World's best cat litter. Everything else is just litter. Find it near you at www.itsnotjustlitter.com. That's www.itsnotjustlitter.com. Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Dr. Robin Ganser. And as I've mentioned in our opening, over the past few days, we've had some very productive meetings with members of Congress and their staff talking about the fixes for contract and military working dogs. Here with me to help explain our position on this issue is United States Marine Corporal Jeff DeYoung, who recently retired from the Marines and was so kind to join us on Capitol Hill with his working dog, Cena. Jeff, how are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Well, Jeff, we were on the Hill. It's been a back-to-back-to-back schedule in terms of getting to all the members' offices we possibly could cover, and I know they wanted to hear your story. Can you share with our listeners a little bit of the background of you in the Marine Corps and what you and your working dog did together? Yes. Me and Cena were a contract working dog team for the United States Marine Corps Engineer Assets. And we deployed together in 2009 and 10. After the deployment, we were separated for four years, one month, eight days. And that is when the American Humane Association stepped in and helped me adopt Cena after numerous failed attempts to reach the contractor. So, Jeff, let's back up for a minute and end. You know, a lot of our folks want to know what you've done in service with Cena. You and Cena both served together on your deployment to Afghanistan. Can you describe what it was to, to be in the Marine Corps working side-by-side in engineering with a military or contract working dog? Yeah, me and Cena's job was to go out with a squad of infantrymen and be at the front of them, uh, probably about 50 yards ahead, and find IEDs. We were solely responsible for the dozen or so people behind us. Very nerve-wracking job for a 19-year-old. Having an explosive dog makes it that much easier. We were also instrumental in Operation Mosh which was the battle for Marja in 2010. And I remember getting into the city and being pinned down by a dishka for three hours, which is a, a Russian machine gun, and I laid on top of Cena to protect him from it because his his job is more valuable than my life. During that time period, we had a uh, few incidences where we accidentally um, damaged some buildings that we had to take care of. And because of that, I have PTSD. And now having seen it back from all of that and somebody to talk to, even though he doesn't respond, has alleviated that tremendously. It's wonderful, Jeff. Your personal story is remarkable and inspirational. You know, I want to take us back to your days in Afghanistan briefly. You know, you shared with the members of Congress last week that you were identified by villagers in Afghanistan as the dog man when you went out unmasked and without Sina. They certainly had had you identified as the dog man. These dogs, as you said, are so important in warfare. Why was it 
interesting to be identified as the dog man. Well, I'd never been to that region before. I'd been a few miles outside of it, but never within it. And it's it's almost like going, whenever you go to a new village in Afghanistan, you're going to a completely new country. They don't talk to each other. So that's why it was scary, because they were communicating to certain aspects of who we were. And what made it worse is that the order of threat for U.S. soldiers from the Taliban is that they like to take out the dog and the handler and then the corpsman and then the lieutenant and then the radioman. And they do this so that you have no form of communication and no ties to reconnect or call support. So being identified as a dog handler, it shook me down to my core. I was very scared at that time. And at 19 years old, that's amazing what stress you were dealing with. And, of course, you had Cena, who, by the way, folks, if uh, if you haven't seen photos of Cena, he's a gorgeous black lab, just a, a wonderful, wonderful dog and just a, a lab through and through. So a, a very friendly, friendly creature and just I know was a blessing to have because of his capabilities as well. Jeff, you know, when the members of Congress learned about your work in Afghanistan and the Marine Corps, the work of Cena, you know, you were there to really help to educate on the differences between military working dogs and contract working dogs and how important it is to make sure that all dogs in warfare are treated humanely in their retirement, that they're allowed military transport back home, and certainly that they're allowed to be uh, adopted by their former handlers such as yourself because of the many healing benefits on both ends of the leash. Can you describe the differences between military police dogs, also known as military working dogs, and Cena? Yes. When it, when you hear the difference military working dog and contract working dog, it does raise a question, what is the difference? Um, in my period in the military, I've learned that a military working dog is more than likely a military police dog who is issued to a handler for the remainder of their contract. They are partners together day in and day out. They go home together. If not, they are kenneled together, that sort of thing. Now, a contract working dog is slightly different. This battalion will reach out to an organization and say, hey, I have 12 Marines that I need to have contracted with a dog. And they do a five-week training period. They contract their dog for their deployment. And when their deployment is done, they return it. I know it's a horrible analogy, but it's a lot like renting a car. You can buy one, which is military working or rent one, which would be a contract working dog. And actually, when you talk about dogs being like renting a car, you know, these dogs are still classified as equipment. So it is uh, in that capacity very much a good analogy to use. So let's talk about the National Defense Authorization Act. I know there's a nice provision that was put in last year's National Defense Authorization Act that says these military working dogs may be brought home for their retirement. And this is may and not shall. Can you describe what you were advocating for with members of Congress? Yes, it's a one word change, but that one word impacts hundreds of thousands. And the reason why it does is because the word may may be, eh, we really don't have to, but we can. Whereas the word shall is a standardized permanent must. You will bring these dogs home. You will connect them with a former handler or a veteran of sorts, and you will allow them to live happily in a home. And that's so beneficial to these canines because a civilian family who gets a dog may not understand what the dog's been through and some of their, you know, their attributes and behaviors. They may think they're misbehaving. Whereas the veteran will understand, you know, night terrors and, and growling if you wake him up could be a sign of PTSD. 
And the benefit of having these dogs back with the handlers is that it's healing both ends of the leash. I think that's beautiful, and that's the perfect point of what you said so eloquently, and Army Specialist Brent Gromit said as well in our HEAL meetings. You know, there's also another word provision. While it says in the NDAA a reference to military working dogs, we also want to see that change for contract working dogs, too, like Cena. Isn't that right? Yeah, I believe that is. It's morally, it should be morally permanent. If for any reason, why would you send these dogs out knowing that they save hundreds of lives and then just leave them there? I cannot fathom that to any extent. If a dog saved me from a bumblebee, I would not leave him in a foreign country. And the fact that it costs $26 to do so, me personally, I've spent $26 on a lot of, you know, unnecessary things. I'm sure a company can change their contract fees to associate $26 and to be able to afford this a little better. That's right. And for listeners, that $26 is what it's been costed out to fly the dog from an overseas base to U.S. soil on military transport. And if the dog is retired overseas, the dog, regardless of being a military or contract working dog, becomes a civilian and is not afforded the free ride home. Well, Jeff, you know, I think your words are powerful. You talk about your personal story that you've shared in news media and certainly with members of Congress about your battle with PTS. Tell us now, you've been reunited with Cena for a number of months. How does it feel to be Jeff DeYoung, father of three precious kiddos and battle buddy with Cena? How does it feel now? You ever finish that puzzle that took a really long time and you were always missing that one piece and you finally got it done and you're so excited that you really don't want to do anything else? That is my life right now. I am so complete and happy that if it stayed this way for the rest of my life, I would be a very fortunate man. I couldn't say the same before June of last year. You know, there was always that piece missing, but I have that now, and I'm I'm very grateful for it. Well, I know I've seen your family in action, and they're grateful for it as well, and what peace and joy a battle buddy can bring to the veteran and certainly to the veteran's family. Jeff, I have to ask you, I know our fans who have been following our adventures over the past few days on Twitter saw that we took Cena to the veterinarian. Tell us about how Cena's feeling. I know uh, he's on a new uh, regime of medicine. How's he doing today? Well, he is feeling so much better that he politely asked me to send the doctor a bone basket. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure if he would graciously accept, but the difference in Cena is night and day. He's so much happier now that he received proper care. And I can't thank you enough for providing that for me. You truly went above and beyond. Oh, well, we're honored to do that. And I want to give a special shout out to Red Bank Veterinary Hospital System. Red Bank out of New Jersey has really offered specialty care for our war dogs. And Jeff and Cena and I made a special call with Jeff's wife, Lindsay, on Friday to Dr. Davis. And I have to tell you, uh, I thought Dr. Davis was one of just the most compassionate veterinarians. And uh, certainly we were so glad to hear about Cena's outcome and the new medical regime. Uh, So, so happy that that's happened and thrilled to have this very special partnership with Red Bank Hospital. Uh, well, as well, Jeff, any final closing words for our listeners about what they can do in the next few days as we try to push these necessary changes to the National Defense Authorization Act? Yes, what I'm doing on my behalf and what others should hopefully please do, not if you want to help yourself, but if you also want to help other veterans, it's just a phone call. Call your congressman, call your local representative, call them. Get your voice out there and tell them, I want you to put pressure in the right direction on this bill. Because there are some who are going to put pressure in the wrong direction, and we want it to go the right way. 
it's one word that affects hundreds of thousands in a good way. There is really no negative side to this bill change whatsoever, and I think people need to understand that, that it's one phone call they can make to their local congressman or Senate representative, and just that one call will show your support for all the veterans and all the troops that have served and are still serving. And to pay it forward to the next generation of dogmen serving on the War of Terror and allow them, when they come back home, to be able to offer a retirement home for their battle buddy. Jeff, thank you so much for your courage. Thank you so much for your leadership on Capitol Hill over the past few days and sharing your story and to really uh, represent the face of what this proposed change in legislation really means on a personal level. Jeff, proud to know you and proud to work with you on this avenue. Advocacy campaign. Thank you. Thank you very much. Listeners, this is Dr. Robin Gansert. You're listening to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. We'll be right back after this brief message. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free, and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Hi, Jill. I see you and Bella are enjoying this lovely day as well. It's a perfect day for a walk. Isn't that right, Bella? And what a colorful ID tag you have, Bella. It certainly puts my Rusty's boring engraved tag to shame. Isn't it great? It's a dog tag art tag. Dog tag art? Yeah. Dog tag art makes the world's coolest pet ID tags. Pick from hundreds of cute designs or upload your photos or artwork to create a unique tag of your own. They even give you four lines of text on the back of the tag for important contact information. I love it! But do they hold up? We have to replace Rusty's metal tags so often because the information wears away. Dog tag art tags are some of the highest quality pet tags out there. They're made with super durable stainless steel. Your information is always legible and the tags are guaranteed for life. Well, I'm sold. Where can I get my dog tag art tag for Rusty? Dogtagart.com. Shopping there is so easy and fun. You're sure to find one that matches Rusty's personality perfectly. Sounds great. We can't wait to get online and get a tag of our own. Dogtagart.com. We keep best friends together. Use the coupon code RADIO for a 25% discount off any tag. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. You're listening to your host, Dr. Robin Gansard. And we're coming at you with a very important issue and a call for advocacy for all of our listeners. Battle buddies deserve better. And this is our update from Capitol Hill. With me today is Army Specialist Brent Gromit, who served alongside military working dog Maddie in the War on Terror. Brent, how are you doing today? I'm good. Wonderful. Well, we've just returned from multiple meetings with members of Congress and their legislative staffs. What did you experience on Capitol Hill over the past few days? The uh, last few days on Capitol Hill was actually, I mean, quite surprising. There was a lot of support with what we're trying to get done. 
Tell me a little bit about what this legislation means to you, these changes to the National Defense Authorization Act, because I know that you were separated from Maddie, and this act would help to ensure that that would never happen to future handlers. This, I mean, is is huge to me. With changing just a few simple words, being able to ensure that this doesn't happen to other people in the future, I know how hard it was for me going through it, and I don't want to see other handlers have to because of a few simple words that could have been changed. Very true. We'll remind listeners of what you and Maddie went through to be reunited. Uh, we were separated for 18 months after I actually got out of neurosurgery. I found out he had been given to somebody else. It was devastating. I mean, it was by far one of the worst things that could have happened right then. And with the American Canadian Association and a lot, lot of help and support from the community, uh, we were able to actually get Maddie back. But had there been a law in place that had a little bit better wording, which is what we're trying to do, I wouldn't have had to go through it in the start. And coming back from Afghanistan, Maddie and I were both wounded in combat over there. And it's a hard thing. It is a hard thing. Brent, tell listeners, I know they're going to want to hear about what you and Maddie did in service to our country in Afghanistan. I was a infantry dog handler. I was 101st Airborne. So what that means is I was a combat dog handler. I went, searched routes to make sure they were clear for freedom of movement, searched HLZs to make sure that helicopters could land to get our wounded out. And without being able to do that, we're kind of stuck. Maddie was sniffing for explosives and detection and weapons. Is that right? Right. So basically, he's a bomb dog. And, I mean, we can detect, like, weapons caches, Mm -hmm. IEDs, mines, mortar rounds, RPGs. There's just a wide, wide variety of everything that we can find in order to aid in the battle. You know, when you were working, I know that you described the day that you and Maddie were both injured. Can you share with our listeners what you remember? We were actually, we were blown up three times. I've been shot once. I know I had a post call with an RPG, which left me with traumatic brain injury. I actually got to watch the film of it later because there's quite a few people that use GoPro cameras. And, I mean, I think this really speaks to the bond and how much we actually care for our dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an RPG go off 18 inches in front of my head on the wall I was using as cover. And I, we had both hit the ground just from the blast. Got up, gave him water, started playing with him, getting him back to good, making sure he was okay. And then as we got up to move to cover, I actually passed out and hit the ground. I don't remember it. Like I said, I had to watch it on film. But I think that really, even not knowing what you're doing, your first priority is always your dog. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you lose your dog and have no idea where they're at. If they are taken care of, you can't find out any information about them. It just kind of it spins your whole world around. Absolutely. When you woke up after neurosurgery and found that Maddie had been uh, adopted after your multiple attempts to file paperwork to take Maddie home with you, but adopted by another family, I believe you found out that at the canine contractor basically had a fire sale on Craigslist, allowing Maddie to be adopted by a, a local family in this country. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the information we got out of it was they just opened the doors up and said, come get a dog after I'd already filed for adoption twice. 
there's certainly a big mistake on that. And I know you've been advocating for better oversight and standards of operation for the canine contractors to make sure there's adoption protocol followed for MWDs and CWDs by the military or contractors so that veterans and former handlers are given top priority. And I know you believe this should be included in the NDAA or through contractual requirements. How did you get Maddie back? I know some of our listeners are trying to remember the story. How did you get Maddie back? After 18 months and a lot of fighting, we ended up basically having to use, I mean, the AHA was a huge help in it with putting us where we needed to go, and national media. We're on uh, Dr. Savage's show. Maureen Callahan reported it in the New York Post. That got us the attention we needed to get the problem solved. And then, uh, actually, Congressman Hudson played a huge role in being able to talk to the family that had him to be able to get him back. And I know you got to meet with Congressman Hudson from the great state of North Carolina while you were on the Hill. What did he say to you? We were actually, I mean, it sounds crazy, but he's very, very nice. Very nice. Any, anything he can do to help fellow soldiers and servicemen and women, he would. He's very, very down to earth, very nice man. He was very, very nice about everything. Um, he actually ended up giving me his coin. And for all of your military listeners out there, if they know what that means. It's very, very nice to meet the, meet the man that helped pull everything together. That's wonderful. So a shout out to Congressman Hudson from North Carolina for all he did to help Maddie uh, get reunited along with American Humane and Brent Gromit. Well, Brent, we were also on the hill with Naomi Judd, who's our wonderful advocate for war dogs. How was it to spend the week with Naomi Judd? You know, she is a shockingly nice person, too. You always read and hear everything, you know, in the paper and on TV about, you know, celebrities and how they are, and I can tell you she is not that way. She actually truly cares, would do anything to help servicemen and women. That's absolutely right, and she shed many of a tear hearing your story and that of Jeff DeYoung's in the members' offices over the past few days, and I know her heart is uh, for the animal and for the veteran, the human veteran at the other end of the leash, so it was terrific to have her advocate. Well, Brent, any final words about what it was to be on Capitol Hill advocating for this legislation? It was very busy, but well worth it. And if we can spread the word out there and get the positive reaction that we had, then it is always a good thing. The laws need changed. That's the NDAA, as far as the Robbie's Law portion of it. It was a good start, but we need to pick it up and actually fit it to today's times. Well said, Brent. Well said. Well, friends, if you're interested in helping, this is the legislative impact we wish to see. We're entitling this campaign Maddie's Wish because Maddie was separated from Brent Gromit and adopted through a, to another family through some sort of fire sale on Craigslist of a combat dog. Just an example of what we want to fix with the system. So Maddie's Wish says military and contract working dogs shall be retired in the U.S. unless their former handler is overseas and wishes to adopt. This language needs to be clarified in the National Defense Authorization Act, and we're looking at NDAA Section 371 for those policy walks on the phone. Again, the intent here is to do away with the May language and replace with the shell transfer the dogs to the U.S. or the adopter handler's location if should he or she decide to remain near their base in a foreign country. Dogs who are not adopted by their handler or deemed fit for adoption should be returned to the U.S. so they're not left overseas in kennels, as former handlers and veterans would be ideal to provide for ever-loving homes. 
And obviously, the language can be written such that if a handler is stationed at a foreign base and decides to remain near that base, the dog can stay with him or her. Legislation should also provide for better oversight and standards of operation for the canine contractors impacting the lives of contract working dogs. In cases such as Maddie, the general sale or adoption of these dogs by contractors, veterans should be given first priority. Their former handlers should be contacted. There should be a written consent form provided. And this language can simply be provided in the NDAA or offered through contractual requirements through the DOD. While we know that these issues need to be worked through from a legislative perspective, we also know that these compact dogs, these dogs like Maddie and Cena, regardless of how they're classified as military or contract working dogs, they save lives of our servicemen and servicewomen. And as with their human counterparts, they often suffer from the invisible wounds of war, PTS. These canine battle buddies are in need of a safe, forever loving home for their retirement. And there's no better home than that of their former handler or the larger veteran community. Friends, this is about healing on both ends of the leash and the power of the human-animal bond. You've been listening to Dr. Robin Gansert on Be Humane on Pet Life Radio. Brent Gromit, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks to Jeff DeYoung, who shared his story. We'll be back with next week's episode. But in the meantime, to be humane this week, please reach out to your legislator. Make sure they hear about Maddie's wish. And to learn more, visit AmericanHumane.org. Thank you. Look forward to next week's episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.